Um, did, did anyone watch the, uh, the Eurovision last night? No. Was anyone there? I mean, it was like 10 minutes away. Is that, is that right? Just down the road? Was anyone there? No? Oh, I wanted to. You were there? Really? Where were you? Near, in the village area? Near the village. Wonderful. Very good. Well, England came second last, um, which was a bit of a shame. Sweden, Sweden won it. We were hosting it, weren't we, because of the Ukraine war. Ukraine won it last time, and we were being generous, weren't we, welcoming uh, Ukrainians to come and celebrate here with us, and then welcoming the world. We had so many nations represented. Somehow, Australia qualifies as being in Europe, uh, which I think is kind of funny. But uh, this region of Britain was incredibly welcoming last night. And that, that's great, because today we are talking about welcome. What does it mean to be welcomed into the family of God? And what does it mean for us to be welcomers? Let me tell you a, a story. There was a, a phone call came in about uh, quarter to five on a Friday afternoon. And if you're a foster carer like our family is, uh, that is a dangerous time to answer the phone because it's social services phoning you before the office closes for the weekend. And the phone call went a little bit like this. It said, um, uh, Krish and, and Miriam, we, we know you've already got lots of children in your house, but could you take another one? And I'm like, mm, not sure about this. My wife, overhearing this conversation, is already in the car, right? Revving up, ready to go down to wherever we need to get called into to receive this child. I'm the cautious one. And I say, well, oh, okay, look, just, just tell me something about this child before we open our home to him or her. And the social worker said, well, we can't tell you much. All we can tell you is he's a biter. Biter. That, that's not what I want to hear. In, in fact, I wish you told me nothing rather than tell me that he's a biter. Like, well, th th there's a kind of war going on in my brain. There's the kind of the, the part of my brain that, that's a little bit cautious, a little bit protective, a little bit cynical. And, and that part of my brain is saying, well, what does he bite? Does he bite stuff? I mean, if he bites stuff, I can cope with that because we've got various teeth marks on our furniture from our cat and, and other visitors. Uh, but if he bites people, like, where's he been? What's he been exposed to? Has he been vaccinated? Is it safe? And, and that's the part of my brain that's, that's worried. And then there's the other part of my brain, you know, the bit of the brain that, that reads the Bible, that tries to go to church, tries to be open to God and his Holy Spirit. And that part of my brain is kicking back. And it says, biter. That is an inadequate description of a human person. You and I, we're more than the worst thing we've ever done, aren't we? Don't you hate it when you get labeled at work for something you did wrong years ago, but they keep bringing it up as if that's the only thing that's true about you? That's not right. Or when your family continues to tease you about something you got wrong as a child that you're still being reminded of today. Biter. We're more than the worst thing we've ever done. When God looks at us, he doesn't just see the brokenness. He also sees the beauty. He sees you as a person of value, dignity, and worth. Whatever you've done, whatever has been done, been done to you. And so 
that day, the bit of my brain that tries to go to church and read the Bible and listen to the Holy Spirit, it won. And we're in the car and we're picking this little lad up. He was three years old and he'd already had eight different families to live with. And the reason that he bit was because he had speech delay. He didn't know whose he was or where he was. And just to let the world know that he mattered, he bit. And that made sense, didn't it? And he came into our lives and he bit loads of stuff, mainly sausages, which was totally fine <laughs> with us. He was good, good to welcome into our home. But you could see that resistance in me. I wasn't sure I wanted him in my life. I wrote him in to our story. And I think for some of us, that, that's how we feel. We feel like we're on the outside. We aren't welcome. We don't belong. And today I want to talk to you about the God that welcomes. In, in order to get there, I, I need to do a, a little um, bit of a survey with you. There, there was a massive survey done in America. And it, it asked people aged between 16 and 29, so people we might describe as young adults, um, what do you think of? What's the first words that come into your mind when you hear the word Christian? Sometimes they added the word evangelical Christian in front of it, but Christian will do. I want you to talk to a neighbor or someone near you, could be behind you or in front of you, and, and, and ask them, what do you think most 16 to 29-year-olds hear? What's the first words that come into their mind when they hear the word Christian? If you are in that age category, great. Um, I want you to think about people outside of the church, though, people that aren't here today. What does the average person think when they hear the word Christian? Could you have a go? Try and think of three words if you can, and uh, we'll come back again in a second. Are you ready? Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, I'm going to come to this side of the room first, then you guys, then you guys. So be, be ready. Some, someone give me a word. Yeah, go for it. Bible basher. That's a, we're going to have a hyphenated word. That's great. Uh, you're from Shetland, right? So yeah, you, you kind of know about good, good weather and good people. Bible basher. Uh, someone here? What, what do you think they say? Controlling. Controlling. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yep. You guys? Boring churchgoer. Yeah, or church going boring. Yeah, okay, good. A um, lot of hyphenation going on. I like that. Yes? A sect or a cult. Yeah, okay. Fools. Yeah, wow. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to show you. Oh, yeah, go on. Courage. That's a positive word. Interesting that most of you thought it would be a negative word, didn't you? Bible basher, fool. Boring. That's the first positive word we've had. Interesting. All right, here are the words they actually said. You ready? It's going to come up on the screen. I think. How's it going? 
coming. It's probably my fault. I did. I was all complicated in my slides. So, so the top three were anti-homosexual, judgmental, and hypocritical. Are you surprised by those words? Anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical. How does that make you feel? That that was what young adults thought when they heard the word Christian. How does that make you feel? Sad? Happy. Why, why does it make you feel happy that everyone thinks negative things about... It's good, it is good being a Christian. But most people don't think it is good being a Christian. They think it's bad. A lot of people think that we are kind of against everybody. That, that we, are, we say one thing and we do another. That's hypocritical. That we look down on everyone. We think we're somehow better than everybody else. Do you, see, do you see the problem? It means that when people uh, ask you about your faith at work, sometimes we're a little bit nervous about telling everybody. Because I wouldn't want to go into my office or, you know, uh, down to the building site or, or at school and, and stand up tall and shout to everybody, hey, everybody, I'm anti-homosexual, judgmental and hypocritical. Who, who would want to be known for that? And so sometimes it's better just to not say anything because people are going to make those associations with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, when people spoke to Jesus, that's not the kind of top three words that people thought about him. If you've, if you've got a Bible or if you've got a, a phone that can get on the internet, um, look at Luke chapter 15. This is a really famous part of the Bible. You might recognize some of the stories that are there. But look what people were upset with Jesus about. Have a look. Um, verse, chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What were they most angry with Jesus about? It wasn't that he was judgmental, hypocritical, and homophobic. The thing that everyone was upset with Jesus was, was, was that he was too welcoming. He was too friendly, too accepting. Does that, does that make sense? So we're about as far away from what people thought about Jesus in his day that we could possibly be. We're the opposite end of the extreme. Now this is an issue for us as, as Christians individually but it's also an issue for us as a church when i was growing up a long time ago in the 1980s right some people say we had the best music listening to eurovision last night the music of the 80s was definitely better than most of that <laughs> um, in the 1980s there were two companies that had a problem with their brand and you could argue that these stats tell us that the church has a problem with our brand, the things that people associate with us. The two companies that had the biggest problem, one was called Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, can you guess what, what the problem with Kentucky Fried Chicken was? People were kind of waking up to the problems of health and diet. And we realized that, like... like Soaking things, baptizing things in hot 
fat wasn't necessarily good for our health. But every time you said Kentucky fried chicken, you were reminding people how unhealthy it was. Does that make sense? They might as well call it Kentucky cholesterol chicken. <laughs> so they had a think and they rebranded. Do you know what Kentucky fried chicken rebranded to become? KFC. Genius, isn't it? Just change the letters and no one has to remember that the F stands for fried. <laughs> Do you know how the menu changed since Kentucky fried chicken became KFC? It actually got worse for you. So nowadays they publish the calories, don't they? Every time you buy KFC, it tells you how many calories are in your meal. It's really scary. Uh, I like a, a Zinger Tower Burger. Okay, or, or the Big Danny box meal. That's, that's, that's a, a gift for me. And, and it's got the, the, the same amount as, of calories that a small village needs to survive for a weekend. <laughs> so KFC, they changed their name, but their product actually became worse. Are you with me? Some people think that's what the church needs to do, that you know, the problem is the word Christian. Let's not use the word Christian, or let's not use the word evangelical. Let's call ourselves... Jesus people or Jesus followers or Big Tent Christians. Just change the brand and no one will realize who we are. Now, the other company that had a problem was a company called Skoda. Have, have you heard of Skoda? Now, my dad was very clever, right? He, he wanted me to focus on my studies because I'm from an Asian family and my dad's aspiration was for me to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. Okay, those are the only three jobs that really matter. Actually, now, Asian parents have another aspiration for their children, prime minister, right? <laughs> Thank you, Rishi Sunak, for putting even more pressure on Asian children. <laughs> Who knew? Well, if you're not going to be prime minister, what's the point? <laughs> so my dad wanted me to focus on my studies. So you know what he did? When I was learning to drive, he bought a Skoda. This was a very clever way of helping me to stay single as a teenager. Because when I was growing up, Skoda's had a bad reputation. Let me test this out on you. Do you know any Skoda jokes? When I was growing up in the 80s, everybody knew a Skoda joke. Let me give you one, see if you can guess the punchline. Uh, what do you call a Skoda with two exhaust pipes? A wheelbarrow. A wheelbarrow. Yeah. Why does a Skoda have a heated rear window? To keep your hands warm when you're pushing it. How do you double the value of a Skoda? Fill it up with petrol. What do you call an open-top Skoda? A skip. All the kids in all the schools knew all the jokes. But look, it's only those of us of a certain age knew those jokes. People are not telling Skoda jokes anymore. Now, what did Skoda do about their brand? Do you know what? They kept it exactly the same. They're still called Skoda. They've still got the same insignia, but no one's making jokes. Do you know what they did? They changed the product. Instead of getting a cheap kind of Eastern European car, now you were getting a, a budget Volkswagen. And Volkswagens have an incredibly good reputation, so you got a good, you got a good vehicle. Now look, the church, what should we do? You know, people think we're homophobic, judgmental, and hypocritical. Why don't we just change our name? You know, 
call ourselves something that no one would ever guess we were a church. That's one option. Or change our people. Produce not better cars, but better Christians. People that actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That's called discipleship. That we actually start to live like Jesus. And Jesus, as we're going to see, was the most welcoming person you could imagine. So that's what I believe we need to do. And I'm, I'm on a mission to make that happen. And practically, that could mean opening your home to your neighbors. That's, that's very countercultural in some parts of Britain. I, I moved into a, a really weird place. Because we're foster parents, we needed to live near the school that our kids go to. And they go to a really special school that uh, has two children in year seven because of the additional needs that our kids have. But it meant we had to stay in Oxfordshire but be near this school. So we live in a place called Henley-on-Thames. It sounds like a double-barreled name, doesn't it? I don't really fit in Henley-on-Thames for a couple of reasons. Uh, I tell people we are lowering the tone just by living there and raising the diversity just by being there. So it's a bit odd, but we started inviting our neighbours round for parties. And some of our neighbours had lived in this street for like 20 years and never been into each other's houses. By opening your home to your neighbours, you can begin to demonstrate something of the hospitality of God. I, I take any excuse to throw a party. Do you hear about that hat ceremony they had the other week? The coronation. We threw a party, right? Not because we're massively excited about the king getting a new hat, but great opportunity for the neighbours to come around. We had tea with teacups and tea saucers, not because that's what we do, but we thought it would be an excuse to have a party. We were going to have one for the Queen's funeral, but it, it didn't seem like a party <laughs> kind of moment. But we had a European final party. That was great. Uh, if Liverpool ever get into a final, that's also an excuse to have a party. But we'll just invite them around. Why not? It can be simple. You know, cup of tea and a biscuit. Brilliant. We'll call it a party. But what about being more radical? What about all these children in our country that are growing up without knowing the love of a, of a forever family? What about those children that can't live with their mum and dad or their aunts and uncles and grandparents? What about those that are needing to be in foster care? Wouldn't it be great if our homes, our families could be the place of welcome? I know that's something that you guys are passionate about around fostering and adoption. That's brilliant. But what about refugees? I love that you've got your talent event happening this week. And, and, and that is amazing, running events where people can kind of get to know each other and, and break down some of those stigma and, and the stereotypes. That's brilliant. But what about our homes? Is there a way that, that people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different asylum status could actually experience something of, of our homes, not just events? Wouldn't that be fantastic? And you're going, oh, Chris, but where, where's this come in the Bible? How does this all fit together? Let me show you a really famous story. Um, I'll open it up for you. And then I've got a little response, a video, and, uh, and we'll send you on, on your way. Uh, keep going in, in Luke chapter 15, actually, verses 1 and 2. Do you remember? Everyone's upset with Jesus. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? 
in the ancient world, who you shared food with was a sign of who you considered of value, dignity, and worth. It's a bit like, I don't know, I, I got invited when I was dating my girlfriend, I got invited to Christmas dinner. Do you know what that meant? That meant I wasn't just a boyfriend, it meant I was the boyfriend, right? I was in. And it was great. And it was really weird, actually, because the, 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 these, these, the, these, my, my girlfriend's parents said, you can call us mum and dad if you want. I'm going, no, there's only two people on the planet I'm going to call mum and dad, and they ain't you. And so I managed to spend a whole Christmas without calling them anything. You know? Pa pass the salt, please, rather than mum, could you pass the salt? Yeah, that was odd. In the ancient world, every meal had that same social significance. It was like getting invited for Christmas dinner. And the fact that Jesus was sharing food with the people that everyone else thought were unworthy, no value, no worth, that was powerful. And Jesus tells three stories to help people understand why. They just can't compute why anyone would do this. The first is the parable of the lost coin. The second is the one we're going to look at very briefly, the parable of the lost sons. And the third is the parable of the lost sheep. Have a look with me at the parable of the lost sons. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now hang on. The younger son wants his share of the estate. In the ancient world, that's like going to your dad and saying, I wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me. All I want is the money that I'm going to inherit when you die. Can you imagine how that would feel? If one of my kids said, I wish you were dead, just give me the money now, what would I do? I'd, I'd send them out of the house with nothing. But this father, he lets his son have his way. Manages to get enough money, half of the estate, to be able to give to his son. I wonder if he had to sell stuff. I wonder if they had to move house in order to free up the money. Here's what the son does. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up, all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Look, I'm, I'm 51 years old and there's still some of my stuff at my parents' house. Okay, Some of my old football sticker albums are still there. You never know. You might need them. This son never planned to go home ever again. He took all of his stuff with him, and he burnt through it. He ran out of money pretty quick. He was a pleasure-seeking missile. He just wanted to live for himself, didn't care about his family, didn't care about anyone else. And then what happens? After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I told you what Asian parents expect of their kids. You know, prime minister, doctor, lawyer, accountant. Jewish families. What is the worst possible job that a Jewish lad could get? Feeding pigs. That's where this guy ends up. Pigs are ceremonially unclean. That's the job that this boy has got. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father. Even when he'd run out of everything, he had no claim on his father's love. He knew the kind of character his father had. And he thought, you know what? I can't come back as a son, but I know he's a decent guy. Maybe I can come back as a slave or a servant. And so he trudges his way back home. I don't know. Imagine you were the dad in this story. Your son has said, you're as good as dead to me. Give me the money. You give him your hard-earned cash. Maybe you've had to sell some property to make it possible. And he's blown it. And then he comes slinking back. I don't know about you. I'd be there with my arms folded. Serves you right. I told you so. You idiot. Look what you've done. You've ruined my family. And, and he'd come and knock at the door and I'd leave him knocking there for hours and hours and hours just to shame him and show him how stupid he was. But not this father. This father's been looking out for his son. He spots him on the horizon. I don't know if that was his, his daily ritual was just to long for his son to come home. He sees him and it says he runs to him. Now, I don't know if you noticed that at that hat ceremony we had last week. Did you see the king running? In fact, did you see anyone running? Because rich people, royal people, they don't run, they glide. <laughs> Slowly, elegantly around. They don't run. This man was probably a wealthy man, but he's running. He's running down the road in the most undignified way possible because he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He runs to his son and he embraces him. And he goes, hang on, what, what, what are you doing embracing him? Don't you know where he's been? He's been with pigs. You're not allowed to touch pigs and you're not allowed to touch people who have touched pigs. But his father doesn't care. He embraces him, welcomes him home, takes off his dirty rags, gives him a new cloak, takes off his, his ring and he gives it to his son. Some people think that was like the ancient version of a credit card. You can go and buy stuff at the local shop with the insignia on your ring, giving him financial power. He put shoes on his feet. Some people say servants and slaves didn't get shoes. Only sons got shoes. Do you see what's going on? I call that the embrace of grace. I experienced it once. I was out with my family. We, we were preaching in a, a church, and uh, we were doing a sandwich, right? Morning service, afternoon was free, evening service. But it was too far away to go home, so we were just wearing our Sunday best as we went out for a Sunday walk. And my little boy, he must have been three at the time, he went running ahead, and, and he tripped over, and he fell into a muddy puddle, right? In goes boy, out comes the creature from the Black Lagoon, right? Just a blob covered in mud and little eye holes, right? That's, that's, that's how you could tell he was a lad, not a monster. And then he said the one word I didn't want to hear. Daddy! And I'm like, you'll be all right, mate. It's all fine. <laughs> Creep a bit closer. And I'll take a finger, pat him on the head. Well done, mate. You'll be fine. Just, just don't come near me. Of course I didn't. What did I do? What would you do? You scoop him up. You hold him close. You tell him it's all going to be fine. And then you peel him off. 
and you have a child's silhouette of mud <laughs> all over your Sunday bed. That, for me, was a taste of grace, wasn't it? That God doesn't say, look, 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 come back when you're clean. Sort yourself out, and then I'll welcome you. No. God delights to welcome us in all the mess that we bring into his family as his own. It's beautiful. It's incredible. That's what God calls us to do. But the Pharisees and the, the, the teachers of the law, they didn't understand that. Did you notice I said it was called the parable of the lost sons? This father has two sons. One younger son that runs off and then comes back and is embraced home. When the second part of the story, the older son runs off. Did you notice? He says the, the older son had been out in the fields working hard. And he hears a commotion. Talks to one of the servants. What's going on? I said, yeah, your, your father has welcomed home your younger brother. He's come home. And he's killed the fattened calf and we're having a party. The next thing you hear about the older son is everyone else is inside having a party. The whole village has turned up celebrating this son, but the older son is outside sulking. So what does a father do? I know if it was me, if my older son's outside sulking, oh, stuff him. I'm having a party. Right? Just get with it. I can't, I can't embarrass myself and leave the whole village and go and chase after my son. That's too embarrassing. Shows how broken my family is. But just like he did for his younger son, the father goes to him, seeks him out, says, look, come back in. Something amazing's happened. Your, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. And the older son says, oh, he's lost everything. He's, he's useless. What about me? I've been working really hard and you've never given me anything. You see, this older son thought he had to earn a relationship with the father. That it was by being a good person, you know, being moral and, and, and holy. And, and that's how you got welcomed. But the father says, no, 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 son. That's not how it works. Come back in. Celebrate. Your brother is dead. He's alive again. You're my son too. Come in. And the parable ends on a cliffhanger. You have no idea. Does the older brother stay outside sulking or does he come back? And it's an open-ended question, isn't it? It's an open-ended question to all those people that were criticizing Jesus. How dare you welcome sinners and tax collectors? Jesus says, look, this is, this is because I, I, I'm with the Father. I share the Father's heart for the world. Come home. Come and know the welcome. 